Thanks for checking out the Brad and John Show podcast. This segment of the show is brought to you by John Combest's book, Stalking, Harassment, Internet Trolling, A Guide to Recovering and Rebuilding After Online Attacks. It's a great reference if you've ever been the unfortunate target of a social media attack. It's available on Amazon. Just search John Combest. That's C-O-M-B-E-S-T. John Combest, and the book will show up in your search results. Now it's time for another segment of the Brad and John Show. Can you handle it? Hey, it's me, Egbert. E-G-G-B-U-R-T. Check out my website at egbert.com. Now it's back to those two dudes who told me they would bring in big ratings. They better are their history. Here are Brad and John. Well, Egbert, we actually run perfect shows. We never make any mistakes. <laughs> Isn't it great, Brad, that after your 50 years in radio, there can still be some fun, spontaneous moments? You know, it's funny. You should, <laughs> well, but you know what's sort of funny about that is that, you know, I get people ask me from time to time, you know, what's going on in the radio business. And, you know, people that are that know I've done it and I'm doing it and that kind of thing. And what's still interesting to me is that stations that do a good job and have local talent and and really, you know, create that sort of, uh, as John Beck used to say, um, radio is the original social media, which mm, when yeah. you think about it, 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 there's a lot of truth to that, that, that yes. you know, people were involved with the station and, you know, people called in if it was like, a you know, in the old days of Camo X at your service where people called in and, and the radio station was involved in the community. And a lot of the radio stations still are pretty much involved in the community. But the problem you have is, and John always laughs about this when I refer to this as McRadio, which essentially is like the iHearts of the world where... You can be in Chicago and listen to an iHeart station. You can listen to uh, an iHeart station in, I don't know, Denver. Um, And if you're listening to their CHR station, which is like the top 40 station, you'll hear the same music, the same DJs. Mm -hmm. Uh, You'll hear Ryan Seacrest as you drive across country. Uh, You can drive from here to Kansas City, and you can hear Ryan Seacrest about three different times. You can hear him. There's a station, I think, in Montgomery City that runs uh, Ryan Seacrest. And then there's uh, Y107 in uh, Columbia Jeff that runs Ryan Seacrest. And there's a station in Kansas City that runs Ryan Seacrest. And it's like, okay. (laughs) and, And part of the problem is it's this conundrum of if you don't have any entrance into the business, how do you create that new talent? How do you create those that new generation of radio people? Now, the problem is most of the people that have an interest, I shouldn't say most, but a lot of the people have interest in this spoken word type format have just essentially started their own podcast because the barrier to entry is is practically nothing. You can buy, I mean, if you have a thousand dollars, you can buy like an incredibly top-notch podcast system. You can buy what's called a road, uh, uh, Roadcaster, which is which is this company out of Australia, R-O-D-E. Tascam makes one, uh, which is $400, which is an amazing piece of equipment for $400. You can buy yourself three or four uh, Shure SM58 microphones, which is not the SM7Bs, which you see on all the podcasts, but they're the standard of the industry and the performance industry. You go to watch a band, I guarantee you most of the guys singing are using SM58 microphones. They're $99 at, at, 
at uh, Guitar Center, and you can use them if you get tired of using them as a microphone. You can use them as a hammer. I mean, they're built that tough. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm being facetious when I say you can use them as a hammer, but um, you know, and for a thousand bucks, you can have a top of the line podcast thing. You go into your living room and you throw up some stuff on the wall so it's not so live, or maybe you have a living room that has you know a lot of acoustical treatments already that makes it to the point where it's not like sounding like an echo chamber. And bang, you're doing podcasts. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And and I imagine for the I haven't seen any numbers on this, but I'm sure the radio industry is does does this type of polling. But if you looked at people age 18, you know, consumers 18 to 25, and you said, what has more status? Like what has more, I don't know, cachet or whatever. Would it be someone who you can listen to on terrestrial radio or a podcaster or a YouTuber? It would probably go YouTuber, podcast, and radio. I'm guessing. Well, I don't, you know, the interesting thing is that I read a lot of surveys like that in our, in our trade publications. And the interesting thing still is that if you're a podcaster, the ultimate pinnacle of success is if you end up with a radio show. So in other I words, believe it. I absolutely believe it. In other it. words, the podcasters are sort of like the minor leagues, so to speak. Because, the again, because the barrier to entry is Ex so low. Exactly. And because, you know, there's a great podcast. Uh, I, shouldn't say, I shouldn't say great because I haven't listened to much of it. But Hacksaw Jim Duggan, do you remember him from WWF fame? <laughs> Here goes John with his wrestling stuff. No, I <laughs> do has, not remember him. The name him. of his podcast, if I have it correctly, is Everybody's Got a Pod. It's just, well, here comes Hacksaw Jim Duggan. And I mean, it's kind of a tongue-in-cheek thing of, well, everybody's got a podcast now. So instead of just going to somebody's Instagram, because the barrier to entry is so low, you just go to their podcast and, and you just don't have time to listen to every podcast anymore. So I guess what you're saying, Brad, is that maybe what those surveys show is that at least on radio, there's some kind of a, uh, there's some kind of a gatekeeping mechanism where you can't be, despite what Egbert says, you can't be completely terrible and still make it on the radio. But the interesting thing still is, and, and it, it, let's go back to what Rush Limbaugh used to always say. When he got uh, competition, remember there was that, that, that radio network that was all liberal people. It was that Air, oh, Air America. Yeah. What was the name of that? Air America. I believe it was Air America. Okay. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And, and they decided, whoa, we're going to go up against Rush Limbaugh. We're going to have our own liberal radio network. And the problem with it was most of the people were just boring, you know? It was like listening to, yeah. And I mean, Rush always said that, that in general, liberals can't be funny. Well, but the point of, of what's interesting is if you look at all the really good talk show hosts, and this is, I saw something the other day, James Strong, who, who does a lot of podcasts, used to be in the radio business. He's out of the radio business, just a podcast now. He's really a sharp guy. An interesting guy that he has a job where he is a salesperson. He travels internationally. And I used to listen to him on KLPW all the time, and he'd talk about, well, I just got back from China. And he, he literally did. During the week, he would travel all week. And then he did a Saturday show on, on KLPW. And he always referred to the fact that, and he, this is on his Facebook page the other day, that the top three talk show personalities are Rush Limbaugh, uh, Howard Stern and Glenn Beck. Obviously, Rush Limbaugh is no longer with us, but Glenn Beck and Howard Stern are both with us. And the interesting part of that is all three of those guys came out of top 40 radio. All three of those guys came yeah, out of music yeah. radio. Rush was a DJ. Right. Rush was a DJ. John Beck was a DJ. Or John Beck. Uh, uh, Glenn <laughs> Beck. Glenn Beck was a DJ, and, and Howard Stern was a DJ. Watch the movie Private Parts. He's you know playing music and stuff like that. He's spinning records, whatever you want to call it. And there's a certain training you get. There's a 
uh, you know, you get a, 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 a as, as one of my bosses used to always say, best communicators communicate with an economy of words. In other words, the idea being, it's not like Kamala Harris, where you spew out this word salad that's like, okay, what mm-hmm. the hell did she say? Mm-hmm. You say things very succinctly, and you can put a thought together and communicate it very well in 20 or 30 words where somebody else can go on and give a speech that goes on forever. Matter of fact, isn't the classic example of that the Gettysburg Address where supposedly wasn't Abraham Lincoln, wasn't he like the second speaker or something like that? Yeah, and it, yeah, there's some kind of a, a folklore behind it, but I don't know how many words it is, but but how succinct it is. Well, and, and Brad, to your point, and it's ever the more important today, and that, that idea has gotten more important in the last 10 years because if you're let's say you're a corporate communicator. I spent most of my time in corporate communications taking other people's documents and cutting 75% out with the comment, nobody's going to read this. And when your company comes out with some environmental statement that looks like everything else that everybody else is saying, nobody's going to sit down and read 150 words about why you're your company that makes batteries or pesticides or chemicals is actually really good for the environment. Nobody's going to read it. You got to make it two sentences so that when you're using your thumb and scrolling, people might stop and look at it. Which is an interesting segue into my next topic because of the fact that I can't believe you just gave me the intro and you didn't know what I want to talk about. (laughs) I did. Yesterday, I'm driving around. I'm listening to KWMU. And during the newscast, they have it like maybe it was on the local part of their newscast, they have like a two-minute story on the airport. Do you know about this yesterday? Oh, yes. I'd love to talk about this. Hopefully, and, and Brad, they did that study, and they mentioned Boeing, and they mentioned Bayer, and it's built on these fantastical make-believe numbers. <laughs> Thank you, John Combest. And folks that... can find the story, by the way, by going to johncombest.com, and it was on my website, I believe, Sunday. Uh, do you want to give the background for the, Do we have time during this segment for you to give the background for Well, it? let's start, and if we need the next segment. Thank you, John, because – hold on a minute. I'm listening to this story, and I'm thinking to myself, this is BS. I mean, because that's exactly what you're, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. They did this study, which essentially says the airport has this impact on. 72 bazillion dollars worth <laughs> yeah. of impact. <laughs> you would think, you would think that the airport. 1.8, uh, uh, no, it's more than that. I, I'm going to click on it here. I have an, I'm sorry to interrupt, but folks can find it at johncombest.com. Go to yesterday's headlines. It's on yesterday's website. It's crazy. It, Five it, billion. Di- you know what? It's going to, it's going to expand St. Louis's area economy by $5 billion, Brad. What, what, what they're saying is this is, this is the, this is the rationale for tearing down a perfectly good, our two, two uh, uh, terminals and completely, I mean, literally completely changing the airport, except for the area that you go into the main terminal, which is the old, uh, you know, they, well, we can't do that because that's, that's historically significant because yes, what is it? It's, yes. it? it mimics something in France. And is that what it is? Uh, is? Is that the story behind that? Or some guy from France designed it or something like that? Oh, I don't know. Well, I'm not so aware of that. They want it completely. We now have... A terminal B, uh, A, B, and C. I don't know. I think they. I think they shut down B. I'm not even sure anymore. C. I think they still use, and D is essentially decommissioned. And then you have the East Terminal, which is essentially well. Now they even changed that. It used to be the West and the East Terminal. Now it's Terminal One and Terminal Two. So they want to completely tear down 
all of that, all the concourses would be gone. They would essentially just tear it all down and build this one main terminal, you know, uh, that you'd go through the the main entrance, the whole bit. And this survey is so full of BS. I mean, it, you know, it, it, it's sorry to interrupt, Brad, but but what's amazing is in reading this, my heart went out. I say that with zero sarcasm to the spokesman for Greater St. Louis, and he's a gentleman named Tony Weish. And I know Tony, and Tony is a veteran of Democratic administrations, was a close confidant of the Carnahan family, and is a great communicator. And I sat in his shoes for a moment when I read this. And I, and I just pictured it would sometimes if you have a couple facts and you know where you want to get to as a communicator, you say, okay, we want to get a whole lot of support for this. Uh, five, let's say 5 billion. Yeah, we're going to get, we're going to grow the economy by 5 billion. And then you piece together some of these facts like, okay, um, this assumes that Boeing is going to go through with their $1.8 billion expansion and that the defense department is going to give them more contracts and Bayer, which is already starting to lay people off. If it hasn't reached the media already Bayer, which is making huge job cuts globally. Oh, they're going to just stay exactly as they are in St. Louis. So it's just, I, my heart went out for Tony cause he's a really good communicator and I think he's a good human being. And when you're put in that position of, of, of building a sandcastle, Brad, that's what you're doing. John, I'm so glad we had this conversation because I'm driving along thinking to myself, I can't believe what I'm hearing. This is the biggest load of crap I think I've ever heard. I mean, And Ray, Ray Hartman was all over Greater St. Louis in 2022. I'm not sure if you remember this, but there's a whole lot of stuff going on downtown with, and I'm not an expert on this, but the idea that Greater St. Louis part, at least partially owned a real estate fund, and the accusation was that they were essentially profiting and they had set up some companies by which they could profit off the building of the soccer stadium. But Ray Hartman was asking really difficult questions. And I think he has a good relationship with Tony Weish, the spokesman. And and Tony was like, hey, Ray, there's only so much we could tell you. And Ray's like, no, you can tell me more. And uh, yeah, a, a really convoluted situation. But but see, what you're just saying is there's the perfect example of old school journalism where you have a guy who doggedly asks questions yes. and, yeah. and won't stop asking questions. And God bless him. Tony was Tony. Tony was pretty much like, Ray, just just go away. It's almost like that was the tone of the It's email. almost like listening to KJP do the press conferences oh, yeah. when she gets asked yeah. a tough question. But now, hey, I would put Tony in a much higher class oh. than a KJP. She's just to the point where, you know, let's bring back, you know, uh, circle back Saki. You know, I mean, Jen, yeah, yeah. Jen Saki was great at her job. I, I, I have to say my favorite part of Jen Saki was toward the end of the administration. She was pretty much just throwing up her hands and being yeah, like, no, nah. <laughs> she, she was like she knew she was exiting soon. So yeah, she didn't really give yeah. a poop. OK, we have to take another break. And, and I have to we, I have to pick up with the airport thing because yeah, let, let's, let's go back to that. There, there's a couple of things I want to talk about and then the very next story in kwmu was the statue story and i'm thinking to myself man this radio station should <laughs> should be in the farming business because the manure just keeps on coming you know what i'm saying that's right here we go i mean it's just like unbelievable okay i'm not gonna make a mistake this time i'm gonna hit the right button Thanks for checking out the Brad and John Show podcast. This segment of the show is brought to you by John Combest's book, Stalking, Harassment, Internet Trolling, A Guide to Recovering and Rebuilding After Online Attacks. It's a great reference if you've ever been the unfortunate target of a social media attack. 
It's available on Amazon. Just search John Combest. That's C-O-M-B-E-S-T. John Combest, and the book will show up in your search results. Now it's time for another segment of The Brad and John Show. Can you handle it? 